0: You're not a podcast guy? Yeah.
1: Yeah, when we started this, you said... You said it'd be fun you to always start wanted a to start it. You've always wanted to start
0: yeah. a podcast. But I don't listen to them. so I, but and I never have. Occasionally... Then why would you want to start a podcast? Like I just want to talk about the shit that I like. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about other people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make them an offer you can't refuse. I'm gonna make me an offer I can't refuse. Hey, that was pretty good. He made me an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> Sound like you're dying.
1: Well, he almost dies like three times in the movie. Marlon Brando.
0: (laughs) Well,
1: we're here again. We're back. We haven't recorded in uh, a minute. Yeah, it's been a little while. A lot's happened. (laughs) We have a guest with us today. We do. You know this guest. I do. I also know this guest.
0: He's a frequent collaborator (laughs) outside of the podcast.
1: Yeah, and... (laughs) We call it in the place that we work. We never have actually said it. We just say the place where we all work. The company. He works with us in the place where we work. Ask me who it is. Who is it, Steven? We've got Jason. <laughs> Should we say your last name?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want.
1: Jason Stearns. Woo!
2: Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on.
1: You are so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you. I've been wanting to bring you on for a long time, but I have never, like... I feel like we really vibed a lot on this specific show that we're going to talk okay. about. So, I was like, "Oh, I think he'd be really good to bring on for that episode." Especially because Gabe has never watched anything affiliated with the show or the show itself.
0: Not yet. I've been I've been really busy. Um I've been binging Better Call Saul, but the offer is next on my plate.
1: Yeah, it's really really great. Uh it's something that even we on the podcast here have said at a certain point, like we were unsure if we were going to make an episode about it, but I decided that I think it's totally worth it because it's, it's become one of my favorite things that I think I've seen on TV this year behind severance and, uh, the bear and Better call Saul season six. But this is just, it's right up there. I think with all of that, but for its own reasons. So we're talking about paramount pluses, the Offer, which is a story about how the Godfather, the movie The Godfather, was made. Yeah, Gabe has never seen The Godfather. I know. You put it together. I'm not a real cinephile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've never well, you seen The watch Godfather. It well, it's
2: still available on Paramount Plus.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought it was on HBO too. No, not still. Maybe. No, I think they're, not, they're not that right. I can find. Oh dang. Yeah, I need to watch that and then The Offer probably, and then watch The Godfather again, right? Is that the best viewing experience? Uh,
2: I mean, for me personally, I don't I don't know about you, Stephen, but uh, I watched The Offer, you know, all the way through and then wanted to go back to The Godfather just because I hadn't seen it in so long. And it was such a great experience to do it, you know, immediately afterwards, like almost immediately mm-hmm. afterwards, like the next day.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I had the same experience. I finished The Offer and Allie was like, let's watch The Godfather. Cause it's like, it's so hard not to, I think, because the show, the offer, the show, the offer makes it out to be this, such this grandiose film that got made that you're just like, I gotta watch this movie now, you know?
2: Yeah. Tip, I mean, just seeing the struggles and everything that they went through to make the show mm-hmm. and working in the industry and knowing like what it's like to do our own productions, mm-hmm. I could really relate to what they were struggling with, but also sort of amazed yeah. at all the craziness that went on with the show, or yeah. the film, that is.
1: Yeah. Who made the show, The Offer, and who stars in it. And that's going to be all up to Gabe, who's not seen it. Because it'll be one of the only times you talk on this whole episode. Oh, yeah.
0: Good. Well, I think the whole thing was basically created by the original producer of the film, right? Yes. Would that be Albert Ruddy?
1: Yep. Al Ruddy, who produced The Godfather, 50 years later produced this television show, on the making of The Godfather, but it's a narrative, it's not a documentary, I just wanna reiterate
0: that. Man is 92 years old. 92. (laughs) That's crazy, also, it was credited, developed by Leslie Grief, is that how you say his name? I guess. And he's produced a lot of shows in the past, so. Michael Tolkien, these are all the producers.
1: Michael Tolkien, is he related to Tolkien?
0: I don't think he is, (laughs) Yeah, and then they had a team of writers and directors you know, doing different episodes, so.
1: I think it also is based on a book that Al Ruddy wrote about his experience. Yeah. Right? Is that right, Jason? Do you know that?
2: I believe so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Who stars in it? We should talk about, it's got this outstanding, amazing cast. Ensemble. Ensemble, some would say.
0: (laughs) Well, the lead is Albert Ruddy himself. I mean, not the man, but the character is played by Miles Teller. Yeah. As Al Ruddy.
1: Very very good.
0: And then you have Matthew Good as Robert Evans. Amazing. Dan Fogler plays Francis Ford Coppola himself. Loved that. Coppola, Coppola. Coppola? Coppola? Coppola. Coppola. Burn Gorman as Charles Bloodorn. Bloodorn?
1: Yeah. You just they just called him Charlie, I think, but yeah.
0: Colin Hanks as Barry Lapidus. Giovanni Ribisi as Joe Colombo. Ribisi. Juno Temple as Betty McCart. She's great. And it, it keeps going. Lou Ferrigno yep. as Lenny Montana. Yep. Uh, Al Pacino was played by Anthony Ippolito. Yes, he was. You got Peter Bart as uh, played by Josh Zuckerman. And it keeps going. But yeah. Those are the big names. Well, we
1: should also say Marlon Brando. Oh,
0: yeah. His
2: character isn't as prominent as he is in the movie. Yeah.
0: Oh, Justin Chambers, Chambers as Marlon Brando. And Frank Sinatra was played by Frank John Hughes. He's an important player, I think, right? Yep, totally. And yeah, Sony Grosso was Carmine Giovanni Venazzo. (laughs) There's a lot of Italian going on here.
1: Yeah, there's there's a whole Italian thing happening here. Okay, you can stop now, James <laughs> Con. You can stop.
2: Okay, I think the cast just nails it. I mean, yeah. it's starting at the top with Miles Teller. He just kills yeah. it. Yeah, and then Matthew Good isn't good; he's great. Yeah, you know? <laughs> great. You know, and I Matthew think those great. two kind of carry the show personally. But for sure,
1: I also really like Dan Fogler a lot for Francis Ford Coppola.
2: The first I was kind of wondering, you know, because I had recently seen Fantastic Beasts and. <laughs> I believe he's in that film, and yeah. um, I didn't recognize him at first. And then Michelle
0: pointed it out. My my yeah. wife pointed it out. Yep. And those three guys were in the whole show, right?
1: Yeah. The top, the first like seven people you listed are in the whole show. Um, yeah. Sure. Giovanni Rabisi as Joe Colombo. He's like the mafia leader. Oh. Or the head of the mafia, in, like the real mafia. In like yeah, the real mafia. That was actually the whole time. Trying to sh- like stop the production of the Godfather, and so we should also say that some of the events of of the offer may have been exaggerated and dramatized to make the show a better drama. Like a better yeah, area. definitely,
2: they definitely you know kind of bend the truth a little bit to make it more interesting and exciting, which I completely understand when you have ten episodes that are each an hour long. Um, Um, there's a lot of content to fill there and you got to keep it entertaining.
1: Yeah. I think most of the events that happen in the offer are based off of like things that actually happen. So it kind of blurs the line. Like for example, there's that famous scene in the Godfather where the, the horse's head is in the bed with the guy and they open (laughs) the sheets and he freaks out and there's blood everywhere. There's been this long standing rumor that it was a real horse's head. And so in the show, they don't actually answer that question, but they show that there is a bunch of mafia people working on the production because Al Ruddy and Joe Colombo, Giovanna Rabisi, and Miles Teller get in cahoots to a certain point where they become like actual friends and the mafia kind of lays off the production. But the mafia people actually start working on the production. And it, so it shows like one of the guys going down to like a butcher. And the guy's like, I'm not going to tell you how I got this head. And then they bring it and they're like, is this the horse's head? It looks so real. They're like, like, but they never actually say whether it's an actual horse's head or not, but it's kind of implied watching,
2: watching that scene in the Godfather after watching the show, it had like a whole new feeling to it when I'd seen it originally, I thought that it was definitely fake and a prop. (laughs) Now I have to wonder,
1: (laughs) yeah. Well it's it there's been a long-standing rumor like there's there's a bunch of little tiny fables or rumors surrounding the Godfather and like oh I, you know I heard uh, Marlon Brando had cotton in his mouth to play that role and yeah. I heard I heard that was a real horse's head. I heard that somebody died while working on it and there's all these like urban legends that surrounded this movie for year for for decades you know and so to see some of those actually like addressed, but not actually answered, it kind of leaves the mystery open while kind of giving a spin on like what might've actually gone down. Like it hints at what actually might've happened. And I loved that aspect of it. It
2: just adds to the legend.
1: Exactly. It, it increases it. It enhances it. And I think that's one of the coolest things about the show is that it, for all intents and purposes, it's a very, very well-made show that enhances your experience Of this very very well-made movie Mm -hmm. which we haven't even said yet but the godfather if you were to google like greatest movie of all time like the best movie ever made the godfather is usually at the top as number one or like around the top as number one
2: and for good reason too i mean watching it again you know knowing that it's a 50 year old film it's Mm -hmm. it's so timeless it doesn't feel dated um you know mainly because it takes place in a different time period Mm-hmm. um than when it was shot but you know it's it's so timeless it's so epic it doesn't even feel like a three-hour movie which they they sort of touch on in the show that yeah. maybe that was too long for uh, a gangster film to me it just it it plays all the way through and it's it goes by fast and you kind of want more at the end
1: i agree i even started watching godfather 2
2: i need to dive back into that as well i haven't which
1: i haven't gotten there yet but i will soon people even say godfather 2 is like maybe also the greatest movie ever made if like rivaling the godfather i have my own feelings about that <laughs> i'm not gonna i won't say any more of it but, but um i do love the godfather as a film i saw it for the first time when it came to theaters like a theater was playing like older films and every monday night they had like a throwback classic movie thing and so i saw the godfather for the first time in the theater and it, it just blew my mind i was like this is amazing
2: what a great experience.
1: Yeah, it was awesome.
2: Something that's interesting about the offer that I don't know if you two have, have seen much of, but it's not critically acclaimed. You know, it's it's rated pretty low on, on Rotten Tomatoes. But if you go to fan reviews and you, you look at it, um, right? you know, and you, you see what there's, the ratings are there. And also on IMDb, it's rated really high amongst fans. Interesting. Which is interesting. I don't know if it's because it, it went too far behind the curtain or or what.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know because it it didn't feel like they did. Yeah. I feel like there was even more. I wish that they would have answered. You know, I I felt like it left me wanting even more. But it also the, the show the whole time was engaging enough to to keep your attention and make you want to keep pressing play on the next episode, and it was like that throughout the whole show. It wasn't. It wasn't ever a moment of meandering where I wasn't like gripped to the story, like waiting to see what happened next. Because the characters, like you were saying, are so well-rounded because of the casting and how they nailed their characters. Like my, one of my other favorite characters, you would think that this guy would be a total slimeball. He's like the the head of Paramount. His name was Charlie, played by Byrne Gorman. He He's kind of introduced as like this slime slimeball rich person who's like just in charge of this company and just trying to make money. And all of that is true, but they make him this multi-dimensional character that you can really become attached to. Like you can, you can actually have empathy for. And I couldn't fully explain to you what it was specifically about that character, but I just loved that this character that a lot of times a lot of people, they would villainize that person. They made every single character well-rounded to the point where you get empathized with the motivations of their decisions mm-hmm. much like the actual movie the godfather you know
2: yeah totally agree with that i mean it's they do such a great job of developing each character and, and giving you a reason to root for each one for different reasons you know and, mm-hmm. and they all have such great traits that like You know, you might see a little bit of yourself in in some of them and and others, you kind of despise them a little bit and then you grow to like them.
1: Yeah. The one person I would say that was villainized as kind of the antagonist was the Colin Hanks character, Mm -hmm. Barry Lapidus. And even his character, like in the last episode, he has kind of like a more of like a well-rounded redemption kind of thing.
2: Yeah. That redeeming moment at the end is kind of nice. It really ties the show together because at first you sort of wonder why they created that character in the first place. Right. Um other than to just have like a, a antagonist that's going against the grain so to speak. Mhm. I think it's 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 a nice like round off send off to the show and and sort of makes the thing come full circle.
1: Totally.
0: Was that a fictionalized character? Yes, he Apetus? was.
2: But based off of other characters, or not characters, but other people that may have existed at Paramount. Gotcha.
0: Where does the show? What what time period does it run through? Does it run into the production and like afterwards?
1: It starts in 1969 and goes all the way through when it premiered in 1972, and then to the Oscars. And you see, so the spoilers, but it wins Best Picture, <laughs> <laughs> um, which which means that the producer of the movie. Is the person to accept the Oscar? That's how it's always been. So Al Ruddy is the one that gets up and accepts the award. And the other thing about the Godfather is he was the sole acting producer of the film, so it was just him that got up and accepted the award. It was kind of a huge deal uh, uh, for being just a just single producer just producing that whole film by himself.
2: Yeah, what a moment for him! You know, to be to be able to go up there and, and you know he, he put so much into the film. Mm-hmm. And to be able to win this award and, and, you know, accept the award, I should say, in front of a, you know, <laughs> the biggest stage in the world when it comes to movie awards is yeah. such a cool thing. And then to write it all the way through to them celebrating after winning the award and they're talking about The Godfather 2 already. Yeah. And he he basically turns them down and says that he wants to do his own project, which ends up being also a hit. Um, which is pretty cool, which was The yeah. Longest Yard.
1: Mm-hmm. The original The Longest Yard. Yes, not the Adam not, Sandler version. Not word. the Adam Sandler version, <laughs> which is, this, this is like a remake of that movie, though. That had Burt Reynolds. Yes. It is. I almost said Burt Russell. I'm like, I'm mixing up Kurt Russell and Burt Reynolds. you are be wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Already hadn't really had any big hits before that point, right? He like did. He was it. kind of a nobody.
2: Not really. He did Hogan's Heroes, which was, you know, so-so. And he decided that TV wasn't for him. And he kind of finagled his way into uh, movie production.
1: Yeah. You want to talk about Matthew Good's character, Bob Evans, a sure. little bit and, and how his relationship with and I was confused at how he was going to keep intertwining because a lot of the time it felt like already Miles Teller was like going against Matthew Good's character and then and then at the end he's like we're best friends and I'm like wait how did that relationship actually?" yeah out?
2: I mean it basically starts off with Matthew Good's character Bob Evans um, who runs Paramount he basically is is the face of Paramount mm-hmm. and he takes a chance on Al Reddy who's never produced a film before
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's it's a pretty big risk to take he produces a film, it sort of bombs, doesn't do well, and then he gets one more shot to produce another film, which ends up being The Godfather. And The Godfather has virtually no budget and virtually no uh, support behind it, other than the fact that it's the best-selling novel in the country at the time. Right. You know, Bob Evans is sort of going against him because he's trying to push him because yeah. it's a big risk for him to take, and he needs him to succeed, but he also needs to decide quickly if he should hold on and, and let him continue, him being Al Ruddy's character, continue right. to run the show. And as things progress, you can sort of see that Ruddy has what it takes to to get it done and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, the gamble pays off, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool story behind the scenes that I don't think a lot of people knew about. But on top of it, you know, Bob Evans is sort of walking the line of, of running the, the entire studio, but also wanting to be a producer himself. And I think that this inspires him to go back to producing and running the studio, which
0: mm-hmm. is a lot
2: to take on for one person. Totally. And you see that with, with his relationship struggles with, uh, uh, what's the name of the actress that he's married to at the time? I forget her name off the top of my head. It wasn't Ally McGraw, was it? I think it was, yes. Yes, it was.
1: Meredith Garretson, yeah, that relationship plays a huge part. That shocked me as well because he he seemed like the kind of person who who like might sleep around or like have kind of like a a high life yeah. style, and and so well,
2: he definitely puts on a, a a front. And the cool thing that about um, Bob he Evans talks like is this he was an actor time. before he he ran Paramount. Oh, really? And so I think he's just playing a role of a guy that right. knows what he's doing running a studio. At least that's the way, the way it's portrayed on the show. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, interesting that he, he was an actor that wasn't very successful, and then he became a producer and, and runner of a studio. Yeah, yeah.
0: And they had to twist uh, Cop- Coppola's arm to do it, right? Is that uh, how
2: The way they put it in the show is Coppola needed the money. And so... They Coppola, I think only wants to write the, the the script, but then, or maybe have it backwards, but he wants to do one or the other, but he ends up doing both.
1: Yeah. And you touched on this a little bit, but, but kind of going off of what you said about Matthew good and being a producer, there was that random girlfriend that Al already had in like episode seven, who shows up to set that one day and watches. Mm-hmm. And a- as she's leaving, she says, like, I think I know it is what you do. Like as a producer, mm-hmm. you, you just kind of like get things done. Like you're like,
2: that's, they get things I mean, that's done the way of putting it in the most simple form. And, and I think yeah. that's accurate is he's, yeah. he's a manager of people, but he's also a manager of, of things, you know, and there's obstacles that are always yeah. in the way when you're, when you're producing a film or a TV mm-hmm. show or or what have you. Mm-hmm. And you have to get creative and it, you sort of see that in post-production too, with, with people that edit Films, There'll be obstacles where they don't have the shot that they need, but they find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of true with with producing.
1: Yeah, I just I feel like the producer's role is always undefined. Like it's always kind of ambiguous. And so to hear it in the, those simple terms is something I've always kind of thought of as myself, like being a producer. Like I, I kind of just get things done and do what I have to do to like make this work, especially within the, the confines of the budget. And you know that as well. I, but, but seeing that both in miles Teller's character already and Matthew good as, as Bob Evans, like they both have that and they're all, they're both also kind of like salespeople,
2: you know, Yeah, totally.
1: And it, it, it seems kind of like manipulation sometimes as well, like to be a producer. It's like you're manipulating everything and everyone to like do the thing that you want them to do for the price that you want them to do it for. And in a way that, that I'm not trying to make it sound immoral, but it <laughs> but it, it does feel like that and, and seem like that oftentimes, like when you're producing something, because you're like, you're going at a, a pace that you should not be going for like a stable human being, both emotionally and psychologically, maybe physically. And you're going so fast and it's so chaotic that you're just like, you're burning yourself out, you know, trying to just say anything and do anything to to like make this thing happen so including like getting in bed with the mafia having drinks or saying whatever you need to say to like make sure something gets done and i found that aspect of the show and the filmmaking aspect this is how a production actually is like and i don't think people know that you know a lot like this is what goes on it's not always as intense as it was Depicted in this show mm-hmm. But this is a lot of what happens And how movies get made
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the production um, You know, in, in this Instance or in this circumstances um, He's tasked with a really Small budget And he needs the film to do Not only be good, but to be great And um, You know, if he fails, his career is Possibly over as as a producer And he might not get a second shot right. So I think you're seeing him scrapping to fight for his life more so than being immoral, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's immoral, <laughs> yes. but also um, he's, he's challenged with something that he wants so bad. Yeah. And and the only way to do it is to do it that way. Right. Um, you know, he could be honest with everybody and, and not get things done or only get, you know, a C-quality movie out of it, but then his career would be over.
1: Yeah. But he also has like a, a vision the whole time. And he's constantly supporting Francis Ford's vision, the whole time as well. So he's trying to do everything that he can to support the director. But I love the dynamic showing that as well. Like this is the producer's role. This is the director's role. And the director's role is to kind of have this vision and and attack it. And the producer's kind of like in support of that vision. Yeah. But it's also the producer's vision. You know Mm -hmm. what I
2: mean? Yeah. I mean, the thing that's interesting about the relationship between, uh, Ruddy and, Coppola is I think Ruddy respects Coppola a lot to begin Mm -hmm. with, you know, because Mm he's he's pretty well known at that point. Right. Um, And I think Coppola wants to respect Ruddy, but doesn't right away. It takes, Mm. you know, it takes a little while for him to sort of prove himself. And there's a there's sort of a breaking point in the show where I can't recall what Coppola was asking for. But Ruddy basically says, I'll get it done. Mm -hmm. And he gets it done. And yeah. that sort of blew Coppola's mind and yeah. that begins the, the sort of trust and bond where I think yes. they, they just care about each other, you know, and respect each other on a, on a, you know, such a high level and it, yeah. it sort of gets things going.
1: Right. No, I know exactly what you're talking about there. There's multiple times that Francis Ford Coppola comes to him and wants, needs something or wants something and he has to go figure out how to do it. Yeah. And one of one of his biggest supports is uh Juno Temple's character Betty. It would be very hard to talk about this show without talking about yeah, her. Yeah,
2: definitely. She's a great character on the show. She's a
1: wonderful character who really did all like most of those things because she did become a talent agent after this ended. But she essentially was was already his assistant the whole time, but she was more of like his closest confidant. She was getting some of the things done that he couldn't get done himself.
2: She was his right hand person who basically had his back through everything, and without her, he would have been screwed.
1: He even got, I mean, spoilers to the show, but he even gets fired at one point, and she's the one to kind of save him, yeah, save him, yeah, and bring him back. Yeah. (laughs) After he, like, tells her, like, just fuck off and do whatever you want, like, he's, like, mean to her because he's angry that he just got fired. She still sticks her neck out for him and and brings him back, and they have this like really good rapport and the dynamic between them is so cool because it's it's out of like a mutual respect and so you're seeing this woman, in you know 1969 1970 really thrive and and become this this very reputable individual. She, she's at that sort time. of
2: like the seasoned producer that didn't get that title you know yeah. because of the time period probably, um, who yeah. sort of takes him under you know, her wing and, and lays out how things are done and, and is like a sure. crutch for him the whole way there, you know, cause without yeah. her he's, he's screwed. He wouldn't know half the things that he knew.
1: Yeah. I would argue that she was the other producer of the film alongside him. Yeah. And that she just didn't get the credit for it, but she, the, her role throughout the whole thing is just amazing. Like she's uh Juno temple, like as an actress, we know from Ted Lasso that she's, she's super, super great, a great actress, but this was such a cool role to see her in because her accent is different. Her whole disposition and the way that she carries herself. And you know, it's it's a period piece show. So she's like a completely different character than who she is in Ted Lasso. So that was really, really cool to see and see that she's got some acting chops and played this role really, really well. I, I really liked her a lot. Again, every character has you know, multi-dimensions and super dynamic. I couldn't really, I didn't really like the person that they hired for Al Pacino. What did yeah. You, what did it, you think? Was,
2: it was a little weird. I, I think they went um, more for the look and yeah. feel of him rather than like the sound, you know, cause he doesn't sound anything like him right. um, voice wise, you know, and they, it's interesting how they, they chose that, you know, they either chose a guy that sounds like a character or a guy yeah. that looks like the character or right. sometimes both. Um, Which I know is tough to do, you know, when people are famous actors that you're trying to portray.
1: The guy that played Brando sounded like exactly like him. Sounded
2: exactly like him, but looked nothing like him, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but he does a great job of of nailing the demeanor of him, you know. Uh, I think he's, he's been in a, no, a number of other TV shows. Michelle recognized him from, I think, uh, what was it, like Grey's Anatomy or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Well, it's cool, it's cool to, to see the backstory of him in the show, where yeah. they talk about how his career is basically over. And they don't want to cast him, but they feel like he would be perfect for the role anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of convincing um, yeah. to, to get him cast. Which is sort of funny, um, you know, because when they go to call his agent, his agent is like still acting like he's, you know, the greatest thing ever. Um, yeah, and <laughs> they sort of have to come to an agreement because they have mutual respect.
1: Totally. I mean that that's another one of the 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 lores surrounding the Godfather that like oh they didn't even want to hire. Uh, Al Pacino or Marlon Brando at the start and like it was that true was that reality or was it not and so they kind of answer those questions by being like well the studio didn't but Al Ruddy did and and yeah
2: it's it's sort of funny because the show in in simple terms is about mutual respect between you know Mm. characters um and it happens a lot where there's two disagreeing parties and they sort of come to a middle ground or they realize that one's right or the other's right
1: yeah yeah. Another one was that like the Godfather, the there's a character in the Godfather who is like Frank Sinatra, but it's not Frank Sinatra. Yeah. But people have always said it's based off of Frank Sinatra and they address that in this as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, I still think it's Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, it has. It
1: has to be. It literally has to be. Especially because when he shows up at the wedding, we're, we're talking about the Godfather now. Yeah. When he shows up at the wedding, everyone starts, starts swarming him and like is freaking out that he's there.
2: And just the look that he has too, yeah. you know, it, it's very Frank-esque. And then he goes on to have a, um, you know, successful career in Vegas. Yep. He had mafia ties supposedly as well, you know, yeah. in real life. So <laughs> I think it totally is. I don't know if the stories are true in the show um, where they bring up that Sinatra pissed about that being based off of him. Um, I
1: think that's true. It's true.
2: It is true. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm, well, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's it's been proven to be true. Um, cause, cause there's that famous there's another famous thing that Frank Sinatra shows up to wherever they were at in Vegas and like had it gotten a in a not a fisticuffs fight but like a verbal argument. Remember when he showed up yeah. in Vegas and and told that actor off and like screamed at him in front of, and then that it 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 scared the actor away from doing that role. Yeah, definitely. That actually happened. I was I was looking up some some, you know, comparisons of the offer versus like real events. So that was an actual like people were there and heard that and saw that, so because he was upset about it getting made. Yeah, and so that was the one thing like circling back to the thing you said in the beginning about it being Italian. The main mafia guy played by Giovanni Rabisi, Joe Colombo was was very against the movie, the Godfather getting made because of its its ties to the mafia, but he was saying that it was because of the poor portrayal of Italians.
2: <laughs> yeah. He goes on to start the, the, um, the civil rights movement for Italians. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a true story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the offer is like this deep seated mystery box that like, We'll never actually know what happened because none of us can time travel and go see what it was like, you know, but it was such an awesome depiction of, of filmmaking and specifically how the movie, which is again, considered one of the greatest movies of all time. The Godfather was made and it, it felt like, it felt like the making of the Godfather in a way to like this movie that is super loved and adored around the world. And I think that's what made it so special, and I it it's actually shocking because like there hasn't been a lot of amazing stuff on Paramount plus either.
2: yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Uh, you yeah. know there's there hasn't been anything that I've wanted to watch on there and <laughs> and I sort of heard that this show was good, you know through the grapevine yeah. and decided to give it a shot, and after one episode, I went, you know, I think I want to watch more. And yeah. I kept saying that after each episode, so Yeah, <laughs> it just kept drawing me back in. It's a great show about an amazing film, and I highly recommend watching Game both of them. It. And preferably in, in the order that I did it, but you could do it in either one, and I think it would still be great.
0: Wasn't yeah. there a part three? Yeah. There
2: is, but it's not as highly acclaimed as the first two. It came
1: out 16 years later Oh. in 1990, so it was... Yeah. Godfather one came out in 72 Godfather two came out in 74, uh, 1990 Godfather three came out after like years of it being hotly bounced around and, and, and studios getting behind it. And then Francis Ford Coppola didn't want to do it. And then he came back and said he did, but, but he couldn't get it made. And then he ended up producing it himself and it ended up being what it was. Yeah. And then apparently, apparently like Sophia Coppola was one of the worst parts of the film. I haven't actually seen Godfather three yet, I
2: actually haven't either. I've, I've always been told, don't waste your time.
1: I, I think I'm going to check out, because he just put out two years ago, a director's cut of Godfather 3 to like try to like make recompense for <laughs> the original. And it, it, it drastically reduces Sofia Coppola's role and is supposed to be like a much tighter film that, that makes it a potentially better movie. Yeah. I want to check it out. But apparently Sofia Coppola was supposed to be Winona Ryder. And then Winona Ryder, I guess, dropped out, so he hired his his niece, right, Sofia Coppola. Huh. So, that's interesting. But real quick, Jason, while we have you, this will be the last question because it's your first time on the podcast. What else are you watching right now that that interests you that you could recommend to people? That's
2: a that's- good question. I just I just finished Better Call Saul, which would be you know at the top of my list. Yeah, um, you and I talked about it, you know, quite a bit after after it aired. It's a great show, um, it was an interesting way to end it. It had the impossible task of trying to match Breaking Bad or, or at least come in the same ballpark as Breaking Bad. And I think they did a really good job. Cool. So that would be on the top of my list. Uh, aside from that... Um, what did you think of Blackbird? Blackbird's another one. Uh, that was a great show as well. Um, very interesting and based off of a true story, which is yes. even more creepy. Um, I highly recommend that the acting and that from the two lead actors is, is quite great.
1: I kind of said that, like, we're probably not going to cover Blackbird because the content is so crazy that like, I don't know if I want to discuss it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, if you do, I'd be happy to come on and talk to you about it. Um,
1: hey, there's a, there, maybe you can, you can just talk the whole time and I'll just be nodding.
2: We can talk about the psychology of it and, and how it's sort of like a real life, um, mind hunter in a way <laughs> without the, the FBI being involved, but, well, the FBI is involved, but, uh, <laughs> that's another topic, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to see, you know, a creepy ser- serial killer, um, yeah. you know, in the mind of, of one and how crazy they are and, um, but also what horrible things they're capable of. Yep.
1: I still have yet to watch the final episode cause I'm like, really oh man the the
2: last one's the best okay you definitely gotta watch it man i mean you've already seen the worst of it in my opinion in terms of (laughs) of you know the psychological like horror of of what's being described and all that yeah 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 check
0: it out okay jason did you start house of the dragon yet
2: yeah i did i watched uh that the other night Did did you like it i did like it um I got I wasn't gonna watch it, but then I got excited because I saw that George R. R. Martin wrote a book and HBO is following the book closely, yeah rather than you know going on their own limb here and, and it's and a completed kind of, work. Uh, doing their own content, which uh, didn't go so well yeah with, yeah. with the original series. Um, so I have high hopes for it. I thought it was a solid first episode. For Um, sure, and i'm excited to see where they go with it i think it could be good
1: well thank you for coming on today yeah
2: thanks for having me on
1: we'll have to do it again sometime i'm glad we got to talk about the godfather before we hit our 200th episode (laughs) because it's like we're like we're getting really close to our 200th but here here right at the end we'll play maybe the the score from the godfather because that'd be rad